Amber Hagerman was nine years old when she was abducted from her hometown of Arlington, Texas. Her frantic family, of course, called police, called their neighbors, called their friends, called strangers, saying, please help us find her. The local law enforcement decided to partner with the media to disseminate the word that Amber was missing and that they needed help finding her. And they wanted to galvanize their community to put everything else aside and look for Amber. Tragically, Amber, having been abducted, was later found having been murdered. But that event in 1996 initiated what we now call Amber Alerts. It's an alert system in all 50 states for those major missing child moments. The fear that a child has been abducted. Uh, Amber Alert System uses billboards and digital signs on the interstate, uses television and radio, and now technology has made it possible for you to receive an Amber Alert on your phone or other mobile devices. And the goal is the same, to galvanize a community, to search for and hopefully restore a missing child. Since 1996, nearly 1,000 children have been rescued in part through the Amber Alert System. It's an amazing thing. But federal and state and local officials have a concern. Their fear is that the longer the Amber Alert System is in use, the more calloused we will become to it. That when we see an alert or we hear an alert, that we will just kind of dismiss it. That we won't read it, we won't notice it, we won't act on it. Their concern is that people will have the idea, well, that doesn't really affect me. Surely I don't know anyone that could help find this person. Surely this person is not in my vicinity. There's nothing I can do. And so we quickly dismiss it and we go about our business. Rather than being galvanized as a community, we become immunized to the desperate plight of a missing child. And I think that's a legitimate concern. I've been guilty of it, to be honest with you. There have been times where I've received an Amber Alert and it almost triggered in me that this is an interruption of what I'm doing. And I didn't really think much about it until I realized, wait a minute, what am I doing? What if I were that parent frantically looking for that child? How would I feel if my community didn't care? How would I feel if people just ignored my cries for help? And sitting in a restaurant, I just became so convicted that I was aggravated that I got this on my phone and I just quickly turned away from it. And so I said to the person I was eating with, wait a minute, I'm sorry, that was an Amber Alert. I'm going to read that. And I read it so that I could look and be conscious whenever I'm out and about. I think there's also a danger when it comes to those of us who are followers of Jesus. And a danger with the church when it comes to those who are spiritually lost. Listen, God the Father sent out an alert throughout the universe when he hung his son on a bloody cross. That there is something seriously wrong with this world. That his children have gone astray. Sin has separated them from him. 
He's a perfect, holy, loving God. But our sin has destroyed our relationship with Him. And it's so desperate, God sent His Son to seek and to save those who were lost. And not only did Jesus die on a bloody cross for those of us who are sinners, which, by the way, the last time I checked means all of us, He also then calls those of us who have been rescued from the penalty of our sin through faith in Jesus to join the search for others who are lost. And the gospel of Jesus and the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the great commission of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, the life and ministry of Jesus, the examples of Jesus are all alerts to us There's something dreadfully wrong with our world, but we know the answer. People are far from God, but Jesus came to bring them back, to find them, to restore them when they place their trust in Him. And it's our job to come together and to get that word out, to search for those who are far from God and tell them the good news. One of the things that we've seen in these parables of Jesus is that he sometimes seems all alone in his burden for people who are far from God. The disciples are sometimes obtuse. They just don't get it. They just kind of are are looking for their own agendas in the kingdom of God rather than the agenda of Jesus. And the religious leaders of Jesus' day certainly don't get it. They had insulated themselves from people far from God as if they were better than them, not even acknowledging their own sin. And so over and over, Jesus has to stop and reveal that his heart is only in line with the Father's heart and that the reason he loves sinners and hangs out with sinners and reaches out to sinners and and wants to restore sinners is because that's the, the Father's heart. That the Father sent him into the world to say, I love you in spite of your sin, and I want you home with me. And the way to come home is turn from your sin, put your faith in Jesus as your Savior. So over and over, Jesus tells stories and parables that illustrate this point. Today we're going to go to Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. And really, he tells a parable, the Bible says, but it's three stories. He tells the story of a lost sheep, He tells the story of a lost coin, and he tells the story of a lost son. We're only going to focus on the first two today, and then we'll pick up with part two next Sunday. But today I want you to think about this parable and how it helps us know the Father's heart for the lost. Because we see the Father's heart reflected in Jesus' heart for the lost. In Luke chapter 15, verse 1... It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. I love that. That tax collectors and sinners, as they would be categorized by the religious people of their day, were actually drawn to Jesus. It's an amazing thing. The outcast of society, the down and out, those who had messed up their lives and knew it, weren't repelled by Jesus. They were attracted to Jesus. They liked Jesus and Jesus liked them. And they're coming to him in great crowds. Now, tax collectors meant that this was a Jewish person who was working for Rome, who had conquered Israel and the whole known world at that time. And so for the fellow Jews to look at their, their, their Jewish person, their neighbor, their family member, now working for the occupying force of Rome, they considered that tax collector a traitor to Israel. 
And Rome had, had made it possible that whatever your quota was for your area in receiving taxes, whatever you collected over your quota was your income. It was your commission. It was your profit. And so that whole system lent itself to a lot of dishonesty. Many tax collectors forced people to pay more taxes than they owed, and the tax collectors became rich as a result of that. And so they were despised by their fellow Jews. They were also in close contact with Gentiles, so their fellow Jews considered them ceremonially, spiritually unclean, contaminated, because you are closely associated with those non-Jewish people. In fact, tax collectors couldn't even go into the temple to worship God as a Jew. They were the outcast of society. And then the sinners were those people that just didn't live up to the Ten Commandments or didn't live up to the 613 oral traditions that the Pharisees said you must live up to that regulate every aspect of your life. And if you don't do something exactly right, you're considered a sinner. Sometimes the sins were real. Sometimes they were just because you're different than us. But those are the people who were attracted to Jesus. They were drawing near to him to hear him. He's preaching and he's teaching the good news of the kingdom of God, God's love. Verse 2, and the Pharisees and the scribes, these are two major groups of Jewish leadership. The Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, look at that. They're, they're, they're grumbling. They're murmuring under their breath. And you can hear their scorn. They're, they're not even going to use his name, this man. Who does he think he is? If he were really sent from God, he would know the way these people have messed up their lives. They're not perfect. They're not righteous. They're not living for God. They're not holy. And he's hanging out with those people. He not only receives them, he eats with them. He welcomes them. He makes them feel at home. And he eats meals with them. He has table fellowship with them. He goes to parties with these people. This man can't be from God. And by hanging out with them, he must acquiesce to their sinful lifestyles. Otherwise, why would he hang out with them? You know what they say, birds of a feather flock together. That must be why he's hanging out with them. He too is a sinner, far from God. And Jesus, being the Son of God, can read your mind. <laughs> they're grumbling, they're whispering behind his back, but he knows full well what they're saying. Verse 3 so he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Jesus tells a story that they would have related to in that first century agrarian society. Which one of you guys, having a flock of a hundred sheep, which means you're a poor shepherd, you're not a fancy one, you're not some professional rancher that's got hundreds and hundreds. No, you got a hundred. And at night you're putting them away safely when you realize, wait a minute, I've got 99, but I'm missing one. And that one is valuable to you. This is your livelihood. This is not a pet. This is an investment for your family, for your future, to put food on your table whenever you shear those sheep and sell the wool. 
Which one of you, finding out that you've lost one, would not leave the 99, go out into the open country and search until you find it? Now, perhaps when you find it, you'll find its tattered remains because it's been consumed by wild animals. Or maybe you'll find it wounded in a ditch somewhere. But maybe, just maybe, you'll find it safe. You get to bring it home. Which one of you? wouldn't go after the one that is lost until he finds it because it's valuable to you. And all the people in the audience would have said, well, yeah, I get that. I would have done that too. You see, the fact that you're looking shows the value of what is lost. The reason you're looking is because what is lost is valuable to you. And Jesus says, don't you get it? That's why I hang out with these people because they're valuable to God. Don and I have three children, Joshua, Casey, and Caleb. Before we had Caleb, um, I on occasion had taken Joshua and Casey to the Regency Square Mall. I think we were in JCPenney's. I may be wrong, but I think that's where we were. When I'm doing a little shopping, watching the two little kids, and then all of a sudden I realize, where's Joshua? And he's going to shoot me that I'm sharing this story. Aren't you glad you're not a preacher's kid? Or you become an illustration in every sermon? And, you know, my heart just starts pounding out of my chest, and I grab Casey's hand, and I start looking for Joshua. I can't find him. I start calling for Joshua. I don't hear him. I don't see him. And my heart is racing for a couple of reasons. I've lost a child. That's a scary thing as a parent. And secondly, i got to tell Donna <laughs> that I've lost a child. That's scary, too. And I didn't at any moment during those few moments of sheer terror look at Casey and say, well, one out of two ain't bad. <laughs> I didn't call Donna and say, you know, I, I lost Josh. But it's no big deal, honey. We can always have another. <laughs> no, because he was valuable to me. And the fact that I was looking showed the value of who was lost. And let me tell you, oh, the story turned out fine. Joshua, he's here today. He, I found him. He was just around the corner. Um, but Jesus is trying to illustrate this point. That no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how you think you've messed up your life and disappointed God, here's something that you need to mark down once and for all. You are valuable to God. He loves you. He longs for a relationship with you. He knows that you're lost and he's looking for you. And listen, whenever something is lost, whenever something of value is lost, our focus shifts from what is not lost to what is lost. The shepherd leaves the 99 who are fine and he shifts his focus and his passion on the one who is lost. When something of value is lost, our focus and passion shifts from that which is not lost. And Jesus says, you guys are religious, you think you're fine? Okay, then I'm not going to worry about you. You don't seem to be too worried. But I'm not going to stop focusing on people who know they're far from God and who need to know they're loved. The reason I'm sharing this passage with you today is because the natural tendency of every Christian's heart and really the natural tendency of this church and every church is to turn inward and focus on ourselves 
rather than be passionately united on the lost in focusing on reaching the lost. We start thinking more about ourselves and what we like and our preferences and the way church ought to be done and the music we like and the style of preaching and the way the church services ought to be formatted and all this stuff. That's fine that people have good opinions. Good Christians can can debate those things and, and even disagree on those things. But all the while, the gravitational pull has turned us inward. And we've forgotten about the lost. We're all followers of Jesus are safe. We're in the Father's sheepfold. We're in the Father's house. We're in a relationship with God through our faith in Jesus. That's great. And if God forbid something happened to us today, we get to spend eternity with God in heaven. Either way, we win. But that one sheep out there, that one soul, that one person who is far from God needs to know that God loves them and they're valuable to Him and that God is looking for them. And God's people are looking for them. Verse 5 says, And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, I have found my sheep that was lost. And everybody's going, yeah, I can see that, I get that. You're happy that you found what was valuable It's no longer lost. It's restored to you. And man, we're going to have a party. This is awesome. And Jesus says, now do you have an idea of why I'm hanging out with these people? Why I love these people? It's because what you celebrate reveals what you value. I'm celebrating when one lost sheep is found. Verse 7. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons. That's tongue-in-cheek, by the way. Jesus is probably winking when he says that righteous persons, like you think you are, who need no repentance. Jesus says, just like a shepherd's going to throw a party with his friends when he finds one sheep, just so, even more joy will be in heaven from God and the angels, when even one sinner is found. Heaven throws a party, not when a bunch of self-righteous people show up for a worship service. Heaven throws a party when one sinner comes home to faith in Jesus. Jesus is arguing from the lesser to the greater, from the lower to the higher. But he's not finished. He gives a second story. Verse 8. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? Jesus says, okay, maybe the ladies aren't getting it, so I'm going to give a story that they can relate to. So what woman here? You're a poor woman living in a peasant's home This home has no windows, just a dirt floor. And every bit of your life savings is wrapped up in 10 drachmas, 10 silver coins. May not sound like much to the rich guy on the other side of town, but one of those coins represents a whole day's worth of work for you. And that's all you've got. 
You had 10, but now you're missing one. And panic ensues. You don't just say, well, I've got nine. No, this is your livelihood. This is how you care for your family. You, you've got to find this coin. And so you light a lamp and you start sweeping that floor, hoping to find it in the dust or the dirt and debris, hoping to find it in some corner somewhere of the room, hoping it's rolled under some piece of furniture. And listen, if you've ever been poor, you can relate to this woman. You ever been poor living paycheck to paycheck, not sure how you were going to buy some groceries for the weekend, not sure how you are going to make that next payment, not sure how you're going to pay that medical bill, then you probably know what it's like to go in there and pull the cushions out of the sofa and reach down in those nasty crevices, hoping between the M&Ms and the old pretzels, you'll find some money. You know what it's like to go through the coin change of the car. You know what it's like to go into your child's bedroom and say, I'm sorry, but I got to break your piggy bank. I promise I'll pay you back. But we, we're broke. That's how this woman is feeling. She's desperate, and she's going to search until she finds it. Verse 9, and when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me for what I have, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Verse 10, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. There again, he's arguing from the lower to the higher. Just like she's going to rejoice with her friends over one found coin, how much more do you think God and the angels are going to rejoice when one sinner who's far more valuable than a silver coin is located and restored? You say, what do you mean valuable? I'm not valuable. I'm nobody. I'm a nothing. I've made a mess of my life. I, I, I don't live for God like I should. I don't treat other people like I should. How can I be valuable? I'll tell you how valuable you are. You know the price God paid for you? The blood of his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how valuable you are. Remember Hallmark used to have a slogan to sell their cards? When you care enough, to send the very best. So in other words, now you can send other cards. Sure. You had that right. But if you care enough <laughs> to send the very best, not some knockoff. I mean, it's up to you. Now, if you don't think your loved one deserves the very best, that's fine. But if you do, there's just one choice. Hallmark. And God sent his very best. He sent his son, Jesus, to die on a bloody cross for me and for you. That's the price God was willing to pay to bring you home. And when you come home, heaven throws a party. God is filled with joy. The angels filled with joy. And here's the good news. Maybe you're lost today. Maybe you feel like that coin. Maybe you feel like that sheep lost. And you wonder if anybody's looking. The good news is, if you're lost, God is looking. Do you feel far from God? It is no mistake you're here this morning. Do you feel that God is a million miles away? Do you question, could God ever love you? It is no coincidence you're here this morning because God brought you here to hear me say on his behalf, if you're lost, God's looking. He wants you. He loves you. 
And he's proven it by sending his son Jesus to die for you. And maybe this morning, for the first time in your life, you'll say, dear God, thank you for sending Jesus for me. I don't earn it. I don't deserve it. But I receive your love because you sought me through Jesus. I turn from my sin and place my trust in you. I stake my life, my soul, my eternal destiny on you. You are all I have. You are all I need. And Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In just a moment, I'm going to lead you in a prayer that maybe you'll invite Christ into your life. But before I do that, I want to speak to those of us who are already followers of Christ particularly those of us who are members or we believe in the mission of this church. Do you share your heavenly Father's heart for the spiritually lost? Do you share your heavenly Father's heart for the spiritually lost? Do you share your Savior's heart for the spiritually lost? If we do, then our passion and our unity, and our focus as Christians and as a church will be directed towards reaching the one who is lost. In this community, 100,000 people within driving distance of our church, over 80% of them are unchurched. America is more unchurched and secular than it's ever been before. And the reason God placed this church in this community is not so the 99 can be comfortable. He put us here to hear his amber alert. There's a lost world that needs to know my love. And I want you to galvanize in unity and passion and focus to go and reach the lost. That's why we're here. I believe I and you are willing to spend the rest of our lives with that purpose in life, is to help people who are far from God know he loves them. And I'm going to ask you to join this church in our efforts to do just that. The gospel's for everyone. We will not hold it back from anyone. But I will tell you this about our community. Within five or ten minutes of this church, 65% 65% of our community is under the age of 44 years old. They're single adults and they're young families. They're diverse, black, white, Hispanic, but they're young families. And whether it's the two young, beautiful ladies, Maddie and Michaela, that you saw on the video screen, or people we've not yet met, there are families in this community who need Jesus, who need to know God's love, who need to know they don't have to live life alone, who need to know that God is looking for them and wants them. And this church needs to help reach them. Will you join us in doing that? In the days ahead, I'll be asking our congregation to make sacrifices to do it, to reach one more with the gospel of Jesus. But when we start to bristle against those sacrifices... Let's slow down and remember the body and the blood of Jesus. And then I think we'll be okay. Because he set the example. He came to seek and to save those who were lost. Let's pray together.
First, I want to pray for Christians, and then I'm going to close out by praying for anyone today who wants to put their faith in Christ. Father, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we know that your heart beats for those who are far from you, those who are spiritually lost, to be found and restored through faith in Jesus. Because God, we are living testimonies of that. You sought us. You thought about us long before we thought about you. And you put people in our lives or churches in our lives that gave us the good news of your love. The good news of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And we thank you that by grace, through our faith in Jesus, you have saved us from our lost condition. And you've given us a life that we could never have imagined, even life eternal. And we praise you for that. But God, forgive us when we lose sight of your heart and we become more concerned about us and our comfort than we are the lost. God, would you let this be one church united in passion and focus in reaching the spiritually lost of this community. Put one person on our hearts who is far from you and help us to be used by you to reach and seek them. Father, there could be somebody in this room today who realizes that for the first time in their life they, they need to receive Jesus because they are that one who was lost. These stories are more than just a story about a lost sheep or a lost coin. The story is really about a seeking heavenly Father. And so I pray that today they would know that today they're here because God the Father wants them to hear this good news of his love and how they too can be found, restored, given life eternal with you. And that is through putting their faith in Jesus who died for them and rose from the dead. And so, Father, I pray that today, maybe it's a husband or a wife, a mom or a dad. It could be a single adult here this morning. It could be a teenager. It could be a first-time guest. It could even be somebody who's been coming to this church for years. But today, they want to receive Jesus as their Savior. No more excuses. No more delay. No more putting it off. Right now, today, where they sit, they're going to say to you in their heart, Dear God, that's right, friend. Talk to God silently in your heart. He'll hear you. Dear God, I admit to you I'm a sinner, but I thank you for sending your son Jesus. He died for me. He rose from the dead for me. I don't deserve any of that. But he said if I would confess my sins, he would forgive me and he would cleanse me. So today, God, I confess I'm a sinner and I confess my faith in Jesus. Help me now to learn more about him and to experience the life that he has for me. And help me to join him in his mission of reaching one more person who needs to know how much he loves them. With your head still bowed and your eyes still closed, next Sunday we're going to have baptismal services. If you've just prayed to receive Jesus, go public with your faith. Go back to the what is your next step area this morning and say, I want to get baptized next week. Or go to fcbc.life, click on the baptism card, contact us that way, and we will give you everything you need to go public with your faith next week. Some of you need to do it. You've been putting it off. Man, let next Sunday be the Sunday you go public with your faith. And I promise you, heaven will throw a party in your honor. Heavenly Father, have your perfect will and way in all of our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.